Good morning. We are in a Christmas series right now called Road to Redemption. Um, the idea is that Ruth is a book uh, in the Old Testament, but Ruth is in the line of Christ. So it's very appropriate that we look at this book. Ruth is a book about redemption, and that's also what the Christmas story is about. So there's a lot of connections between the two. So we're looking at this, uh, this book called Ruth. So I invite you to turn there right now to Ruth chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. All right. Ruth 2. Uh, that's, yeah, 188 if you're looking in the Blue Bible. At this time of year, it's very common. You see it on the news a lot. Christmas miracle stories, right? Someone does something kind for someone else. Well, I wanted to offer one this morning. A uh, Christian family... Mother's name is Sherry, and uh, they have two kids, a five and a two and a half year old, and uh, Sherry is pregnant with their third. And as she tells the story, uh, things were very financially tight that Christmas. Things were not good in their family uh, in regard to their finances. And so they were thinking there's really no money for presents. And we know Christmas is not about that, but You know, after every year you do this and it kind of becomes an expectation. Where's the presents? And theirs was the kind of family where they bought the presents, wrapped them, and put them under the tree beforehand. So the kids would see the presents. My family did that. It makes you anticipate it, you know. You're tempted to peek underneath the paper and all that, all those horrible things. And uh, But this year there were no presents wrapped under the tree. And so it was not that the parents ever really told their kids, you're not going to get presents, but... It was just kind of obvious that something was going on. Sherry thought to herself, what are we going to do? And so her idea was, let's have a birthday party for Jesus. Let's do it that way. And so they did. They had this big birthday party for Jesus. They made Christmas cookies. They had got paper out and, and made cards for Jesus, made some little gifts that they were going to give Jesus. And they had a really, really great time. Later that day that they had the party, they hear the doorbell ring. And it's a delivery man. And they go to the door. And the delivery man says, I have some groceries to deliver for you. And so Sherry went to the door and she got in and heard all this. And you you, can just leave him on the porch. I mean, she's, you know, she had a big party that day. She's tired. She's very pregnant. Just leave them on the porch. He says, I don't think you want me to leave this many presents on the porch. Or this many, this many, uh, this much food on the porch. And so she says, okay, bring them in. Fine. He brings it in. He goes back out. He brings more in. And he goes back out. And he brings more in. And as, after the whole thing was said and done, they looked at all, the, all this food and they said it must have lasted two or three months. There must have been like $600 worth of groceries there. And they were just astounded. Not only that, Christmas Day came. They get up. And again, there's no presents under the tree. But they look out the window. The husband looks out the window, looks at the car, and he sees their car is full of gifts. And so now they go out and bring all these gifts in, and now their kids have this full-blown Christmas experience. Now, I'm not saying you've got to have presents to celebrate Christmas. I think it was a brilliant idea to say, let's have a birthday party for Jesus. That is memorable. That is wonderful. But they had needs. They had needs. Food is a basic need, more than the presents under the tree. And God supplies. And I think 
I think all of us, a lot of us have stories like that where we pray and we say, God, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. And then God just shows up and, and does something. And, and I love stories like that. Because God is a God who cares about our needs. God is a God who wants to help supply our needs. God has a redemptive plan to help us when we're in trouble. So we've been talking about redemption. That's the theme for this month, redemption. And in talking about it, I want to remind us what redemption is. Redemption is when God delivers us from a tragedy or or calamity. When something bad is going on and God steps in to fix it. God steps in to restore it. Spiritually speaking, this has already been accomplished spiritually in Christ. That is, the deepest need of my spirit is salvation. We did that in the responsive reading. My foolishness, my darkness, my great need for Christ. That's the truth. And Jesus has come to redeem us from our own darkness. In a broader sense, though, physically speaking, God often steps in to redeem things that are going on in our life that are bad. He steps in to help us in times of tragedy or calamity. Uh, a practical way, I, I once heard a sports team talk about redemption that was a helpful reminder of what it really means. I remember I was watching uh, the Badgers play one time, and they said, oh, we played this team last year, and, and they, just got, they just got annihilated by them. They just got wiped out by this other team. And uh, so they were asking, you know, is this, is this about revenge? You're playing this team again, now you're going to beat them, it's revenge. And somebody on the team said, maybe the coach said, no, it's not revenge, it's redemption. I was like, that's, that's interesting, you know, because revenge just kind of has a negative connotation. But redemption's more like, last year we played them and it was tragic, right? This year we're going to play them and we're going to win. Redemption. So in thinking about redemption, we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2 and see that God has a plan for redemption in our lives. So check out Ruth chapter 2. We're going to read through the whole thing. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. 
May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've given me comfort and have spoke kindly to your servant, though I don't have the standing of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all of my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. In this story, and if you weren't here last week, I want to explain the significance of this. (laughs) Naomi's husband died. Naomi had two sons and they died. And they were married to Moabite women. They were married to foreign women. And suddenly there's no men to provide. So Naomi's going to travel home to Israel. And Ruth says, I'm going with you. And I'm going, your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. I'm going to die where you die. I'm going to be with you. And Naomi lets her come with her. Now, in that day, God had a gracious law in the Old Testament where if you were a widow and you had no kids to take care of you, you were really, you were really defenseless. You were really in a hard time. And so Ruth had the option of marrying a brother the brother of the deceased, husband. And it just so happened she ended up working in the field of Boaz, a kinsman redeemer. So, the other thing you had to know about this story to understand chapter 2 is, uh, and if you have your notes, you can see this in Deuteronomy uh, 24, 19. It says, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So the idea was, if you have a field... How are the poor going to eat? How are the poor going to be provided for? What's the welfare system in Israel? And the answer is, God says, I want you people out of the charity of your hearts to bless the foreigners, to bless the poor by not gathering everything you could gather. Leave some behind so that poor people have something to eat. And then I'll see what you're doing and I will bless you for doing that. That's how they did it. So Ruth basically is saying to Naomi, I want to go out there and work. I want to take advantage of of compassionate farmers that will help me out and let me gather so I can survive, so you can survive. And so she does. Now, 
Chapter 2 is full of coincidences in a worldly way of speaking about it. I don't believe they're coincidences at all. The writer says, the writer in chapter 2 says, as it happened, she goes into Boaz's field. I want to highlight then three coincidences in chapter 2 that we can really understand even better as part of God's plan to redeem what's going on with Ruth and Naomi. So check it out with me. I'm going to apologize in advance. I had no idea that my uh, notes, the font, is really hard to see on that screen with that color. So um, I encourage you to look at your notes and your bullets, and that will help you follow along even better. Number one, coincidence or plan? Number one, was it coincidence that Ruth gleaned in her kinsman redeemer's field? That's number one. Was it coincidence that Ruth gleaned in her kinsman redeemer's field? You look at um, verse 3, she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters, and the writer says, as it turned out, nudge, nudge, (laughs) she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Okay, (laughs) what a crazy coincidence. Of all the fields in all of Israel, she wanders into the one field that happens to be owned by someone that she could potentially marry. He's a kinsman redeemer. He's part of the family. Out of all the places, that's the field she goes into first. And the writer says, as it turned out, nudge, nudge. He's supposed to say, do you you get it? Did you see the plan as it's working out? It's not coincidence. We like to talk like this often. We like to say things like, it just so happened I was in the right place at the right time. Like We say that, right? That's the way the world talks to try to make a point to say, what a lucky person I am that I was right here at the right time. And yet we know that there's so much more going on than just being in the right place at the right time if God is directing our footsteps. And he does. If you're in the right place at the right time, I'd venture a guess that God puts you in the right place at the right time. And maybe we've got to talk about that differently so that we don't sound like the world. I do that all the time. I use that expression a lot. I don't want to do that if it demeans what God is doing in my life. I don't want to do that. Let me give you an example. I took a, I took a youth group trip, a missions trip, to Minneapolis. And we were partnering with an organization called Living Hope Ministries. They, they tutor inner-city kids they do Bible studies with kids. It's a great ministry run by a great guy. And uh, we were partnering with them, working with inner city kids. We were doing a VBS this week, and we wanted to stir up support for it, get kids excited about it. So we went out to the neighborhoods, and we were advertising a block party. That's as fun as it sounds. I mean, the, 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 we block off the whole block, and, and we, just, we just have a whole street, a whole section of the street to just set up inflatables, play with the kids, do face painting. It was, it was a great, it's a great thing. And then you tell the kids, come back tomorrow, we're going to do a VBS. This just gets you excited for the whole week. Well, we were going out and we we're spreading the word and we're knocking on doors, uh, putting little flyers on, on doorknobs and just, just trying to see if any kids were out. We came to one door, knocked on it, and the lady came to the door and I looked at her and I thought, I know this person. <laughs> she she was an Ethiopian woman whom our church in Watoma supported. We support their family to do missions worth in Ethiopia. They were back in the States for a little bit of time. And I'm like, I, 
I know you. We support you. And she knew who I was. And I'm like, this is great. And so she asked what we were doing there. And we told her if they were excited. And she ended up cooking an authentic Ethiopian meal for us one night as a group. It was just amazing. And I thought, what a coincidence. <laughs> out, of, out of over, uh, Minneapolis has, I think, over 5 million people in the city. Five million people, and I happened to knock on that door with a person that I knew that our church supported as missionaries. Crazy. But, but these are the kind of things that happen to believers when you trust that God ordains your steps. Now, I don't know. She didn't do anything amazingly redemptive. I mean, yeah, the meals weren't the greatest at the ministry site center. So that Ethiopian meal was incredible, right? But I'm not saying we needed it and we had to have it. I'm just saying that God is with us as we go about our day. And we ought, to, we ought to remember that when it looks like coincidence, it may very well be something more. Because God ordains our footsteps. And he ordained Ruth's footsteps. So instead of saying I was in the right place at the right time, maybe we've got to say God had me in the right place at the right time. And look how it turned out. All glory to him. What a coincidence. Secondly, was it coincidence that Boaz provided for Ruth's safety and nourishment. You look at verse 9, and Boaz is talking to Ruth, and he says, Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. Whenever you get thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Uh, apparently, and, and Naomi confirms this later in, the, in chapter 2, apparently if you, some of these fields were dangerous places for women to gather. That's what I get from chapter 2. You might even call this one of the first recorded anti-sexual harassment policies in the workplace. I mean, really? Right? He says, you stay here because there's going to be nothing like that happening in my field. That's what Boaz says. He's providing for Ruth's safety. He also provides for her nourishment. He says, I want you to gather with my girls. And he tells the men, look, I want you to leave some stuff behind for Ruth so she can get what she needs. And then did you catch what happens when Ruth gets back to Naomi? Look at what Naomi says again. Um, here it is. Uh, verse 19. Where did you glean today? Where did you work? I mean, she's, she's surprised. You know why she's surprised? Ruth collected about three-fifths of a bushel of barley. In that day, that was in one day, that was probably the equivalent of a half month's wages. Man! And on top of that, she had a, a meal with them and brought home the leftovers from that too. So Naomi sees this, and that's why she's so startled. That's why she's so surprised. She's like, this is incredible. How did you get that much barley? Well, the, the person that owned the field, Boaz, he, he took notice of me and, 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 he, and he let me do this. He let me gather all of this. He didn't keep it for himself. He gave it to me. Half a month's wages. God is providing for Ruth and Naomi. God is providing. And, and, and God sees your needs too. He sees my needs. And he says, I, I know what you need to live. I know the necessities. And I will be there for you in those things. This will work out. Was it coincidence that Boaz provided for Ruth's safety and for her nourishment? Boaz describes it like this. I don't know if you noticed how he said it, but he says, um, he talks about 
Ruth taking refuge under the wings of God. David talks about the wings of God. It's actually a common Old Testament illustration of saying that God protects his people. David says it like this in Psalm 51. Uh, it says, when David, when he had fled from Saul into the cave, he, David says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you, in you my soul takes refuge. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until disaster has passed. God is often described like a, like a bird that has wings, and, and the wings will protect you from harm. This is as, as a frequent description of God. God has a plan for our protection for our provision. Thirdly, third coincidence though, was it coincidence that Boaz had already heard of Ruth's character? Look at verse 10 and 11. At this, Ruth bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Was it coincidence that Boaz had already heard of Ruth's character? Now you know how it goes today in our culture. We, we want to be good at self-promotion. We want to advertise ourselves. And I'm not saying this is always bad at all. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I mean... When I, gave, when I put in a resume at this church, the intention is for me to say the good qualities that I have. I'm not trying to list all my bad qualities. That'd be like the opposite of a resume. You know, <laughs> Who wants this guy? He's got a whole list of weaknesses. <laughs> um, you want to put your best foot forward. I understand that in many situations, that's exactly what you ought to do. But there's also a side of us that wants to promote ourselves when we don't even need to. I mean, you know how it is. I mean, you, you people in the Facebook world, you know who you are. You ever see people in the Facebook world and, and, they're, and they're getting on there and they're, and they're typing and uh, they say, oh, I was at the grocery store and I gave $20 to this old lady that needed help with her groceries. Praise Jesus because he helped me give to this woman. No, actually it was praise you that you gave to this woman, right? <laughs> you know, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to tell stories that somehow make me look really good. It's easy to do, and I bet it's easy for you to do too. How much better if we keep our good works secret and we trust God to reward us? Boaz said, I've already heard about you, Ruth. I've heard about what you're doing, and I doubt that it's because Ruth went out there and spread the word, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing for my mother-in-law, Naomi. Because Ruth says, why are you treating me like this? She's shocked. How do you even know to do this for me? How do you know my story? And Boaz says, I know your story. It's going around. Everybody's talking about this. Wouldn't it be great to go to a church where the stories that get told are always the good ones? You know? That's great. And I pray that for this church. I'm not hearing anything to the contrary, by the way. But I'm just saying, may we be a church that spreads the good stories about people. That I don't have to promote myself. Other people do that. That you don't have to promote yourself because someone over here is promoting you and saying, let me tell you what they're doing. This is great that we're talking like this and lifting each other up. It's like the opposite of gossip. This is what's going on with Ruth. God is making sure that Ruth's reputation is being known in the community. God's making sure of that. People are talking. And it's all been good. May we trust God so that we don't have to promote ourselves. 
we trust him to do that. And in any case, if you think about it, who's going to do the best job of rewarding you for your good works? You spreading it by mouth or God doing it himself? We all know the answer to that. I'd rather have God reward me than someone else reward me because he'll do a better job of it. I can trust him with that. So I don't believe any of these things are coincidences. I think the answer to each of these questions is no, they're not coincidences. God is orchestrating this whole thing. And so we can say the main idea here is God is unfolding his redemptive plan in our lives. God is unfolding his redemptive plan in our lives. God takes special notice of our circumstances. God helps us. I want to I read a few verses because I want you to see that this idea that God has a plan for you is a huge theme in Scripture. I didn't pick a lot of passages maybe you've heard before, like, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Um, I picked some other ones. I want you to hear it for a second. Psalm 135.5 says, I know that the Lord is great, that the Lord is greater than all the gods. The Lord does whatever pleases Him in heavens and on earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes the clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out wind from His storehouses. God has a plan for the weather. Matthew 5.45 says, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God even has a plan for the unrighteous, and it's not always negative. Daniel 2.21, God changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Isaiah 10, verse 13, God says, By the strength of my hand I have done this, by my wisdom, because I have understanding, I have removed the boundaries of nations, I have plundered their treasures, like a mighty one I subdued their kings. First Samuel 2.6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. First Corinthians 4.7, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? Psalm 31.14 But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and those who would pursue me. Proverbs 16.33 The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. I don't, I don't advise you to pray that when you play, play Yahtzee, by the way. Um, but a practical example of the lot, the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. First Samuel twenty four eighteen. you have just now told me, this is uh, Saul, by the way, you've just now told me the good you did to me, David. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. Proverbs 16, 1, to the man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. Daniel 4.34 At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards the heavens and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. 
no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Lastly, Ephesians 1.11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So yes, God has a plan for your marriage, whether it's strong or whether it's weak. Yes, God has a plan for your health, whether it's good or whether you just got bad news. God has a plan for your kids, whether they're obeying you and following closely after Christ or whether they're not. God has a plan. God has a plan for your finances, whether you are employed right now or not. God has a redemptive plan. That is the tone of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. You can't escape that truth. God has a plan for you. So, if that's true, what now? How do I respond to that? To that amazing, deep truth? I'll suggest four. Number one. If you're on your notes, you can turn the paper over. Number one. Let us yield to God's plan with its burdens and blessings. Now, I want to be careful. I'm using the word burdens. I thought about this last night. I was preaching through this, practicing, and I thought, burdens. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to contradict Jesus when Jesus says, my burden is light. He was talking about the requirements of the law and what the Pharisees were doing to the people. I'm not talking about that. But I mean, if you read First and Second Peter, you get the impression that sometimes it's God's will that his people suffer. God's plan involves things that are difficult at times for us to deal with. Our response has to be to yield to it. I'm on your agenda, God. I will do what you want. This is what Ruth does. Ruth says, Ruth doesn't know the plan from beginning to end. All she can say is, God, you have a plan to provide for me, and that's to go into the field and see what leftovers I can gather. I'll do it. I will yield. I'll do what you want. She's a hard worker. Yielding really almost never means just sitting here do nothing. I mean, sometimes we sit and wait on the Lord in some specific circumstances, but most of the time, yielding means I do what I know to do, whatever God's called me to do in the moment. For Ruth, that's work hard. Mary also was yielded to God. And this is where I want to connect to the Christmas story. I want to read Luke 1, 28. You can go there if you'd like to keep your finger in Ruth. Luke 1, 28. Mary is a model of yieldedness. Luke one twenty eight, page 723, it says, The angel went into her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary's response is a response of yieldedness. This is what she says. 
I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Do you see that? So the plan is, Mary, you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God. What an honor. And what a difficulty. You think about her reputation. She's not even married. And how that all plays out with the community and what they're saying about her. That's a burden. You think about when she went into the temple and it was said, it was prophesied over her, a sword will pierce your soul too, Mary. It may be amazing to give birth to the Son of God and to be that part of God's plan, but it's also really not easy at all. But will you yield to God's plan with its burdens and blessings? Knowing that He's not going to waste anything in your life. There's nothing in your life that God says, I can't redeem this. I can't make something good out of this. He does. He does. Mary, you're going to give birth to Jesus, and yes, he's going to die, and a sword's going to pierce your soul over that, but it's also going to accomplish our salvation. Okay? We can trust God's plan because we know it's going to bring about redemptive purposes. One of the hardest times in ministry for me and my family was... Uh, doing a multi-site, uh, another campus for our church, really didn't go well for a variety of reasons. And uh, I remember we were moving back into Watoma, looking for a house after things weren't going so well. And we, where were we going to live? And uh, I remember driving, and uh, a guy ran out into the road, started yelling my name, and I pulled over. And uh, the guy says, what are you doing today? I said, I'm looking, at, looking for houses. And he says, I got two. Want me to show them to you? And... Uh, and so he introduced himself, and I found out he actually went to our church. I never even met him before. And uh, he took me to a couple houses, one of which we ended up purchasing from him. And uh, the house had a fire in it. He remodeled it top to bottom. He asked us the, what, what, what we wanted in the house, what kind of stain do you want in the cabinets, what kind of floor do you want. I mean, it was just amazing. It was amazing. God had a redemptive plan. God knew at that point we were kind of at a low point emotionally. And and God provided what we needed for a place to live. I've seen him do it. I know he'll do it for you. I love the fact that the guy had to run out to the road to stop me, though. That was just, that was wonderful, right? That was just like, hold on, Nia, hold on. Uh, God will stop you in your tracks at times and show you glimpses of his plan. And it's amazing. It really is amazing. So we need to yield. How yielded are you to God's plan right now in your life? That's a question. Secondly, if God has this amazing redemptive plan, we ought to be blessing other people. Number two is let's bless others. We ought to be like Boaz who says, I'm going to help Ruth out. I'm going to make sure she brings home so much barley, it's going to provide for half a month for her and her mother-in-law. We ought to be blessing other people. That ought to be on our hearts. It's one thing to pray that God might bless somebody. It's another thing to say, maybe I'm the channel of blessing. Let's bless people this holiday season. Who would God have you bless this year? Thirdly, let's seek the counsel of wise Christians. Let's seek the counsel of wise Christians. Ruth got back to Naomi Ruth had no idea she was in her kinsman redeemer's field. She had no idea. Naomi knew. Naomi was a word of counsel. And next week we're going to see even more of her counsel about this whole kinsman redeemer thing. Sometimes we get so close to our own life and we're so in the middle of everything that it's almost like we can't 
we can't make out what's really going on. Okay? In my sermons, I don't like to boast about my, uh, any of my strengths. I kind of like to boast of my weakness. It's kind of more fun that way. Um, I have this problem with blood, all right? If you're bleeding, I'm fine. I really am. If I'm bleeding, I'm not fine. <laughs> and and there have been times, there have been times when um, I have fainted. <laughs> one time, one time, only once. But I've cut myself all the time. I mean, I remember fixing the stove and I cut my thumb and it's gushing blood everywhere. And oh, it's just, some, some of you, I, I heard it in your voice right there when I said gushing blood. You went, <gasps> you know, you don't like it either. Well, one time and only one time I actually fainted. It's true. And uh, I, Christy was already up in bed. And I, when I opened my eyes, I don't know how long I was out, but I, there, there were bars in front of my face. And, and, of course, when you're coming to, you don't know where you're at. You know, what's going on? And, uh, and I'm looking at these bars, and I'm like, I must be locked up or something because, you know, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And as I focused and thought about it, and I was kind of weak, so I couldn't really push the chair. It was a chair. I started to push the chair off of me. So I must have grabbed a chair and pulled it on top of me when I went down. Okay? You know more about me than you ever wanted to know, don't you? <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Funny, Christy was upstairs in bed and she heard the thump, but she didn't come check on me. That's the real story right there. But I tell that story. I got up. I was all right. I'm, I'm stupid. But um, only happened once now, people. Don't take it too far. Um, but sometimes, you know, the chair's right in front of me and I'm like, where am I? I see bars. Am I in jail? What, what, what am I doing, you know? Uh, sometimes we are so close to our own sickness. We're so close to, the, to that unredeemed relationship with that friend that's just driving us crazy. We, we almost can't even call him a friend anymore, you know? It's just so hard. We're so close to it. And we can't really see what's going on. We can't process it correctly. We need good, wise Christian friends. We need the Bible out in front of us to compare our life to so that we have wisdom to deal with the situations we're in. That's why God, what's one of the reasons God has the church gathered here? So that we can lift each other up in prayer, so we can offer wise counsel to our friends. Sometimes when you're in it, it just, it's so right in front of your face that it's hard to make out what's really going on. Good example, last Sunday, I was talking about, uh, in our cross-training group, I was talking about, I was going to mention this last Sunday, but um, our house deal fell through, and we're really frustrated about that, but... Um, I mentioned that to uh, the prayer class last week, and I said, we're not moving forward anymore. And Bill Miller, Bill, where are you? Bill says, wait a minute, Pastor, you are moving forward. It's just a different plan. God's got a different plan. Oh, that's really helpful to think about it in different terms. Like it's not this plan, but it's got to be a different one. Wise counsel is very helpful. I highly advise it when you're going through difficult times especially. Fourthly, I just want to make a quick point on this. Fourthly, let's be careful not to misinterpret life's events. Sometimes, sometimes we want to see God around every bush, like he's doing everything, you know, and, and uh, I've heard it. I've had people come up to me and say, God told me I need to serve in this ministry. And then uh, we kind of try it out. 
And it's very clear they don't have the spiritual gift of whatever that ministry requires. But they're so sure God told them. Okay, let's be careful that we don't try to over-spiritualize everything that happens in our life. That's a danger because we know God's big enough to orchestrate our life. God is a God who can do this. But let's not take it so far that we try to spiritualize everything. Sometimes our emotions get in the way of us really hearing clearly what's going on. Let's just be careful that in our pride, we don't go too far in this and think we know the in and the outs of it. Sometimes, sometimes we think we know as much about our life as God does. And that is not true. He will always know more about what's going on than I will know what's, what's going on. When I uh, came to this church, I remember thinking, isn't that funny that um, I had served with Pastor Brian uh, in Watoma for a year, that we kind of knew him, and then he came up here, and then I came here too? Isn't that interesting how God orchestrates things and relationships and works this stuff out? And I thought, if I end up in Three Lakes, I see a lot of the hand of God even doing this years ago, preparing me for this. And now I'm standing here saying, it is the plan of God. But if I was to go into the interview process and say, listen, search committee, I'm the guy you want. God's got it in the cards. You can see it right here. He had this whole thing planned out. You need to hire me. That doesn't work so well. Often it's only in the rearview mirror that we can see what God's really doing. Really. There's discernment right now. That's true. We've been given the mind of Christ, the Apostle Paul says. But let's not take it so far that we become presumptuous about what God's really doing. There's the word of caution. I hope you hear this message and say, God's got a plan for my life. The question is, what is the plan? The other question is, am I yielded to it? The other question is, am I blessing people as part of God's plan to help them? There's a lot of people in need this time of year. What's God saying to you this morning? Let's pray. God, thank you for your good plan. Thank you that uh, you, you gather the church together, that we can lift each other up with prayers and with wisdom. I've been, I've been such uh, the beneficiary of so much wisdom and good words spoken into my life. I am so thankful for that. I pray now, Lord Jesus, as we go into this time of communion, that you would be with us in this time as we remember your death that has accomplished our redemption. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.